Dave, it's not often, but it is occasionally that I'm very glad that you're my co my co-host. Um, okay, I'm happy sometimes that you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people ask me why. People ask me why do I have somebody? I have no idea where this is going. I I <laughs> I'm completely uh, looking forward to hearing what comes next. People have um, sometimes uh, they're confounded, downright. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, gobsmacked about why I would have somebody who just occupies this intersection of um, like not knowing things that mm-hmm. we talk about on this podcast, and uh, also that's my favorite, and also <laughs> not caring. <laughs> right? Why? Yeah. Q, yeah. I hear constantly. <laughs> why would you have mm-hmm. somebody like that on as your as your co-host? Yeah. Um, number one, the biggest reason is that I love you. Oh. But the but that's that's um, besides the point in many other uh-huh. uh, instances. I am excited when I'm able to explain things to you, and I'm able to use you as sort of a proxy for the audience who might not know what I'm for talking the stupid about. fucking audience, the stupid <laughs> cockamamie nitwits out there listening to this show. Every one of you. Um, before we get into that, I'm Q. And I'm Jewish Dave. And this is Bird Road. This is Bird Road, the only leftist audio experience from Miami, Las Vegas, and everywhere between. So don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. You should already know that. You can email us at birdroad at allpointswest.net. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can call us Not on Facebook, that phone, though. 305-792-8971. Maybe I'll answer. Dave, the thing that, before we, I let you plug uh, Piecing It Together, which I'll let you do in a second... Everybody, mm-hmm. listen to Piecing It Together if you're out there. But um, maybe, maybe that's fine for a plug. Just listen to Piecing It Together. We don't have to get into mm-hmm. whatever you're, you're, you're doing. Sure. Um, uh-huh. What? How familiar How familiar are you with the phrase means testing? Do you know what that is? No. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I could probably guess, but I, I don't know. I'm What's your sure. guess? Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Um, uh basically trying to look at a, a group of people and what their means are like like either economically yeah, you're or there. you're there you're yeah, there yeah. so means testing is uh, means testing happens all the time the classic mm-hmm. example of means testing is the pell grant right where mm-hmm. uh you somebody like you who um you probably didn't qualify for a pell grant because i think you were like a dependent of your parents until you were like 37 sure. and um you were mm-hmm. uh, you you know you didn't need you didn't need uh to when you went to college you didn't need um that particular uh portion of financial assistance but if you did i got the pell grant a couple times um if you did if you could qualify if you were um you know whether you were an emancipated kid or whether you were like a uh, you know um somebody who was 18 but on their own and was not being filed uh, as a dependent for their, their parents if you check all these criteria in terms of like your income and how much money you have you know that's means testing when the government looks with scrutiny at a group which you you were pretty you were pretty much right on like your mm. your guess of what and and determines whether or not that group uh has the means or the lack of means to um 
qualify for a particular benefit. You can find means right. testing everywhere. Like mean, there's means testing in Medicaid and Medicare, right? Are you old mm. enough? Do you qualify? Are you a you know senior citizen or do you reach the, the, the age 62 or 65 depending on the state or where you are or what program? Um, you know, do you qualify for uh, for discounts uh, in your pharmaceuticals? Do you you know the, the uh, you know the, the the medicines that you're prescribed? Means testing happens all the time. SNAP, TANF, food what they you know sort of pejoratively call food stamps. It's one of the probably biggest I would say the biggest um, points of tension between progressives and moderate Democrats or centrists, right? Means right. testing is a is is a fight because if you're a progressive, if you're if you're a socialist, you want to do away with means testing. You want to open up a lot of these programs for everybody, and you know that you know the rising tide lifts all boats. Whereas centrists, moderates tend to really love threading the needle between like, oh well, this group, this group, and this group will be allowed to have this particular little benefit, right? So I bring this up today as we get sort of to the content of today's program. Um, Because I wanted to start off talking with item number one that I have listed here, which is Kamala Harris's maddeningly means-tested version of uh, student loan forgiveness, which is just getting the shit kicked out of it. And I'm going to explain using another news item, another thing that uh, another another piece of news that's sort of floating out there in the ether, why these kinds of things are such bad ideas. And um, so, if you haven't heard about Kamala, Kamala Harris's proposal that's out there to wipe student debt here's an article wipe away student debt here is an article from the business insider uh that sort of gives a high level view of it she sparked uh according to the author of this piece ellen cranley senator kamala harris sparked confusion on twitter sunday when she touted a specific policy point for student loan debt forgiveness uh the california lawmaker wrote on twitter that the proposed plan would forgive debt for Pell Grant recipients who start a business that operates for three years in disadvantaged communities. Pell Grants mm-hmm. are reserved for students from low-income households and can provide up to, wow, $6,195 for a school year. I never got that much. I guess they maybe have increased it. Um, in 2017-2018, 7 million people qualified for Pell Grants, right? So a Pell Grant, by the way, is not a student loan. It's not something that needs to be paid back. But the assumption is that people who are getting Pell Grants are probably also getting student loans. Because if they qualify for a Pell Grant, they're in a position where they probably need student loans too. Um, Sure. So these are two separate, distinct things. But one is being used as like an indicator for the other one. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. So... The announcement came as the latest in student debt forgiveness, uh, as the latest in student debt forgiveness, as a popular talking point for 2020 contenders, and included a pledge from Harris to work with Congress to create a $12 billion grant and support and a support program to facilitate startup minority small businesses. The proposal is part of a new uh, of two new policy proposals for can- her campaign said were designed to support closing the wealth gap among Black Americans by focusing on investing in higher education and entrepreneurship. Um, However, several users were quick to point out their concerns with the conditions of the forgiveness. It didn't seem to make sense when compared with the harsh realities of the low chances of a business's success in its first several years. That makes sense, right? What do we always hear? Two out of three small businesses fail in the first year, right? Yeah. Um, That sounds high, to be honest. Yeah, (laughs) that sounds like hopeful, (laughs) overly positive. Um, so this is a, uh, a, a tweet that they embedded in this story from, uh, 
Camila Londoño, who says, I work at an incubator in a university that is deeply committed to innovation in a city that has what feels like an incubator in every corner. And this, talking about Harris's um, proposal, is so absurd. A lot of new businesses fail, and they take a lot of money and effort regardless of success. Who does this help? And the who does this help, Dave, is kind of like the the tenor of the criticism that she got from um, like Twitter at large and social media at large because it, it's like this policy is so means tested. It, it basically helps maybe like twenty people. There's tw- like sure. twenty people yeah. out there who who, <laughs> qual- who 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 hit all of the sp- again talk about threading a needle like this tiny little um, uh, horizon of people that can actually benefit from this and. The other thing that's not mentioned in this in this proposal is like, what do you have to do if you're one of these people to start a business? What's the first thing you have to do? Take out another fucking loan. You have sure. to get further in debt. And that yep. debt is not within the purview of this program. So like it's debt upon debt upon debt upon neoliberal solution upon neoliberal solution upon late capital like capitalism, late capitalism, late capitalism. It's like it's it's a Russian nesting doll of of, uh, of of servitude basically of of debt servitude of having to be able to just like plug yourself into a system of finance where you your your position is just being somebody who is a servicer of debt who is like okay all i represent i'm not really a business person I'm not really an employee i'm not really a functioning member of society i'm a line <laughs> item on a de- on a on a debt sheet and I will be my, my debt will be moved around and it will be treated as a um, a commodity unto itself and I will be plugged in to this sort of servicing of debt for the rest of my life. Uh, I bring that up to bring up people I think don't fully grasp how sort of pernicious these things can be, how like shitty it can be to to to, to put, means testing at the forefront of everything that you that that you do um mm-hmm. so I, I i wanted to like this kamala harris proposal is like the the the, the seed right of of one of these means tested programs and i wanted to look at the um the fully blossomed like what it looks like when these things actually you know come to fruition and what what happens the unintended consequences of of, of how they end up um really manifesting so ProPublica article that just uh, came out today by Jody S. Cohen and Melissa Sanchez headline is parents are giving up custody of their kids to get need-based college financial aid subhead first parents turn over guardianship of their teenagers to a friend or relative then the student declares financial independence to qualify for tuition aid and scholarships Dozens of suburb, dozens of suburban Chicago families, perhaps many more, have been exploiting a legal loophole to win their children need-based college financial aid and scholarships they would not otherwise receive. Court records and interviews show, coming months after the National Varsity Blues college admission scandal, this tactic also appears to involve families attempting to gain an advantage in an increasingly competitive and expansive, I'm sorry, expensive college admission system. Parents are giving up legal guardianship of their children during their junior and senior years of high school to a friend, uh, to someone else, a friend, an aunt, cousin, grandparent. The guardianship status then allows the student to declare themselves 
financially independent of their family so that they can qualify for federal, state, and university aid, uh, ProPublica Illinois investigation found. It's a scam, according to uh, Andy Borst, director of undergraduate admissions at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. Wealthy families are manipulating the financial aid process to be able to uh, to be eligible for financial aid that they would not otherwise be eligible for. They're taking away opportunities from families that really need it. So this is what you end up getting with the sure. means testing. When you lay down a bunch of rules and turn it into a game, all you're doing is creating incentives for people to cheat and come up with uh, come up with ways to you know take advantage of a system with very limited funding or you know limited access. Like obviously, financial aid is not an endless pit. People, there's only so much of it to go around in as the system is currently constructed. You know who has a plan where none of that shit matters? I'm I, I'm excited to hear. <laughs> well. It's one Bernard Sanders. Ber- mm. Bernie Sanders has a plan that gets criticized by the same people who come up with plans like this, the centrists, the uh, neoliberals, the sort of uh, moderate Democrats, because his program that he's proposing is debt forgiveness for everybody and tuition-free college for everybody. Now, <laughs> the problem the that the centrist class and the, the, um, the sort of moderate neoliberal whatever you want to call them how do you pay for it well that yeah that's the that's one of their problems the other one is the other big problem is that they have with it uh is that and this is a more of a rhetorical point and it's used in really it's 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 used like a cudgel in really bad faith they'll say Oh, so you want to give free college to the children of billionaires and millionaires oh god (laughs) (laughs) and it's like read this i've 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 literally heard that before too i've heard that argument (laughs) read this fucking ProPublica article what do you think is already happening you think that they're not just manipulating the system already you think that they're just not like like making a mockery of all these programs as it is and do you think they fucking care if it became free tomorrow first of all these aren't the billionaires doing it these are the like this is the like suburban illinois like net worth five to ten million crowd like people who Mm. are like you know pretty rich but are not billionaires billionaires are always just going to send their kids to like you know skull and crossbones drink the blood of if infants at secret society college like they're always going to be yeah. at a different strata that doesn't even you never even engage like fucking you're going to be like the only child of a billionaire that anybody ever ends up like hanging out with is someone that wants to be famous like nick kroll or something like that who is the <laughs> child of billionaires and uh and but like pretty much no other ch- child of billionaire will you ever interact with they're not going to like take your spot at the university of texas or something like that um right so uh <laughs> the uh, you laugh but like seriously if that's your biggest gripe because i think that i think i'm hope, hoping at least that the whole like how will you pay for it trope is mm-hmm. tired out on, on, on with anybody who's trying to claim uh status as a democrat even the most moderate of mm-hmm. Democrats, hopefully the, the the numbers and the facts and like the millions of different ways that it's been shown 
that the how do you pay for it argument is a disingenuous bad faith one and also one that's, right. that's not supported by facts because there are a myriad ways to pay for it and sure. it would and it, just like with med with uh, medicare for all it would pay for itself many many times over it would um you know and also by the way uh, an aside wiping out the student debt I'm fucking fine with fi- with not even finding a way to pay for that. You know who finds a way to pay for that? The fucking bankers. Let them figure out how to pay for it. When sure. they're, you know, they're, they're and let me tell you something. It's been a really good like 150 years for bankers. They can take a loss or two. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think the how can you pay for it? Like as we progress, and we're recording this one night before the second round of debates begins tomorrow in the Democratic primary. Um, I don't think that the how will you pay for it argument on the quote unquote left is going to be like just in the Democratic Party is going to continue to have the same integrity that it had before. Mm. Like it's not it's not going to hold together. It's going to fall apart. And hopefully by the time it's Bernie Biden and maybe two or three other people, hopefully by then it will not even be in the lexicon. Like nobody's going to be talking about that. Right, which would be right. great because again, it's a disingenuous bullshit argument that doesn't stand up. It's it's only rhetorical. It's only used by Democrats who you know feel like for some reason they need to try to appeal to Republicans. To all those Republicans out there who are going to vote for them, you know those Republicans, the swing voters, yeah, those swing voters, those Republicans that love voting for for Democrats and and mm-hmm. and are always super open minded and can't wait to hear what a what a Democrat has to say. Um, but the one that really, I think, shows the wrongheadedness of means testing is this story. I mean, this shows you exactly what ends up fucking happening with these um, with uh, with these programs. They're bullshit. And um, yeah. to you, all I can say is thank you for allowing me this opportunity to once again enlighten you uh-huh. and uh, explain things to you. Do you feel yes. a little bit smarter now? I do. And, you know, I was just going to say that, um, you know, to, to the original story, the Kamala Harris proposal, I mean, it, I didn't I hadn't heard of this until you sent me the link, you know, earlier today. It's still and pretty new. What, I think it, it just came out yesterday. It, yeah. And as soon as I st- I mean, a sentence into it, I think I already saw where it was going. Like, I, it, it's just <laughs> such a ridiculous idea that that these that these people that it's going to help any of these people like it, it's it's just such a. uh just an empty thing yeah it's an empty uh, thing it's like an exercise in in pandering because it's like okay well what are the things that that are what are the buzzwords or the or the the hot button things we can put out there okay let's talk about closing the welfare the 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 wealth gap and the income gap all right let's talk about um, underserved communities all right let's talk about uh you know small business owners um you know uh, minority small business owners right all these things are like Again, it's threading this needle without ever actually yeah. doing anything of of significant substance. I sure. would actually like to see, um, you know, uh, <laughs> Commerce Secretary Kamala Harris in the next, you know, because I don't think she's going to be president. But, like, I would love to see her put this plan, or Secretary of Education Kamala Harris, I would love to see her in the next in the democrat administration which i don't think there will be i, I think that trump will be president <laughs> for the next 12 years but yes. um but in this imaginary world where a democrat wins in 2020 i would love to see her in 2021 implement this plan 
And I would love mm-hmm. to see the like white papers and the write-ups four years, six years, eight years after it's been implemented and just people shaking their heads and laughing at like, what a fucking ineffectual, feckless, campaign-only plan this was designed right, right. just to be a press release. Some fucking plans, some proposals, a lot of them that are coming out. And I don't want to spend the whole fucking podcast disparaging a bunch of um, Democratic uh, Democratic candidates, even though they all, a lot of them deserve to be disparaged. Um, but a lot of the plans and programs and proposals and shit like that, policies that are coming out right now, are like, they're just meant to be press releases. They're not meant to ever actually be implemented, I'm getting the feeling. Yeah, I mean, they they need something to stay in the news with, like, because otherwise, I think every single one of them would have been forgotten by now. Free edible Fridays, like if you on Fridays, you get to get free edibles. Everybody, even the kids. That sounds fun. Come get faded. <laughs> What's next, Dave? What is next? Yeah, I I I, I don't know about this story. I think uh, even though you just. Uh, did the majority of item number one I, I didn't really know much about this story here with this uh I, I started to read it and it um yeah I started to read it and I was like what the what the hell is going on here how far <laughs> did you get, get into too it too far only a few paragraphs in and I, I was already like losing it awesome <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah the next article that we that we wanted to talk the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was the um I don't know. I wonder if anybody out there has read this. It's been kind of popular. It came out a week ago. It's an article in New York Magazine in their the cut section, which I'm not really sure what that's supposed to be about. Like what the, it's like a freestanding vertical of theirs that they have. Um, the most gullible man in Cambridge. By the way, only person that's really quoted throughout this article is the subject of the article and the writer right there in the headline. The most gullible man in Cambridge. A Harvard Law professor who teaches a class on judgment wouldn't seem like an obvious mark, would he? So they just put this guy right on fucking Front Street. Yeah, seriously. Um, it's a fun read. I love the picture. Too. I don't know. I would have. I would have liked to sort of bat this one around with you a little bit, but you would have to have read it. So, but it's basically a fun read about this guy Bruce Hay, who is a Harvard professor, a fifty-two-year-old guy, um, who is just one of these like products of unbound liberalism like the kind of liberalism that just kind of rots your brain and uh the thing that okay like the thing that republicans make fun of everybody on the or conservatives make fun of everybody on the left for being is mostly bullshit but not fully like there are people who are the caricatures of like paralyzed wheedling like wimpy liberalism right that does exist sure. out there those yeah, yeah those people are out there this guy is hilarious he was i'll break it down i don't want to spoil it spoil this article which i it, it's a great read i recommend to anybody um you know going there and wasting one of your free or you know using up one of your free monthly new york magazine article reads that you can uh i think they let you read three of them free per month um giving this article a read it's a long form but this guy goes in to a i think a bookstore and is shopping and meets a french woman um mm-hmm. who claims to be the uh daughter of uh, more her name is uh 
Maria Pia Schumann, who claims to be the daughter of songwriter Mort Schumann, who was the guy who wrote um, Save the Last Dance, Viva Las Vegas, and one of these like guys who was this incredible, you know, songbook uh, sure. from that era. Uh, yeah. She's 32. She's pretty. She's young. Um, 20 years younger than him. She just turns out to be this long-term scam artist who is in league with a, uh, a trans woman who is a student and a, um, a doctoral candidate at at Harvard. All of this is happening in Cambridge, which is code word for Harvard. Everything, The only mm-hmm. thing in Cambridge is Harvard. And um, this guy gets embroiled. He has a wife who is actually his ex-wife, but he's like sort of raising, they're co-parenting, raising kids together. He has a pretty traditional, apart from the fact that the, the wife is his ex-wife and they live together, he's a pretty, pretty traditional nuclear family that he's raising. And he just gets completely swept up by these two women um, long story short, he maybe gets one of them pregnant. Um, obviously not the trans woman, but the, uh, the, the other woman, uh, Schumann and, um, proceeds to go on like a years, years, years long, uh, con where he's, where he's just getting grifted by these women. And at one point they trick him into him and his, uh, him and his nuclear family, his existing family with his kids from his ex-wife convince them all to leave town for a few weeks get signatures on some documents and move all of the furniture out of their very beautiful nice cambridge home move themselves into the house and (laughs) when the police show up they present the documents that they tricked this nitwit this harvard professor this like this just like goo-eyed dipshit <laughs> that he basically signed a lease, like leasing, renting his home to them. And that he just signed out of pure trust uh, without bothering to read it. It's And the details are, are insane. And I mean... You know what this sounds like to me? Huh. This sounds like it would be a great, great subject matter for Ryan Murphy's American Crime Story series. Yeah. That he did the, uh, the OJ case and then uh, the Versace... This would fit right into that that kind of aesthetic, that uh, that whole just very uh, kind of. But it's, what, what it's weird it? like, because I'm not smarmy. sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. <laughs> like, uh, like the Versace. Like, there's yeah. there's a lot of um, Andrew Cunanan energy coming off yeah. of these two women. Like, mm-hmm. but uh, let me not be that pejorative because there's honestly, apart from these like small minor griffs that they ran and cons that they ran there's no evidence of them being like violent criminals or anything they haven't they've never like hurt anybody or done anything sure but they did pull the move it's still a crime though they did pull the the age-old move of um (laughs) of uh look i love you and i'm i promise like in text messages and in chats saying Uh i love you i swear i promise i don't even mind that you raped me and it's like whoa wait what (laughs) what are we talking about here what the fuck is going on? I <laughs> prank caller, prank caller, please don't. Call. Good move. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, like, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, it's like probably about five thousand words. I, it, it's worth a read. Um, you know, maybe you can read it up there in the mountains when you're flicking your dick <laughs> to the story because it's so hot. Yeah, it is. 
I don't know what like, else I want to talk about, Dave. What do you want to talk about? Uh, you're, you're about to leave. I think I think it's probably good for us to maybe take a few. Uh, I, I know you said that you want to take a few months off of the podcast, so. Um, <laughs> I never said such a thing. <laughs> I know you're going to be gone for like a month with um, your vacation. And August is a month when I feel like people aren't really listening to podcasts. So Did you just did you just put a bird road break on me? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a grift. <laughs> I don't know what's, go, what's 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 going on. What's Wait, some, didn't what's some shit that you we, want to talk about, man? Come on. Didn't we take a break last year around August? We took a break in September. Yeah, September. But oh wow, not like any of that. that. Not thing. like anything we're doing is working. So fuck it. Like who cares? <laughs> Just whatever happens, happens. I was gonna talk about like um, Rick Scott. Saying that uh, he isn't going to support the Trump Pelosi budget deal, that just seems so fucking boring. Who cares about that shit? <laughs> Who cares? U.S. Senator Rick so Scott, Republican of Florida, said on Sunday that he wants to vote. He plans to vote against the budget deal crafted by the Trump administration and the U.S. Uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Last week, the U.S. House voted to suspend the debt limit for two years, passed a $1.37 trillion budget. With seven hundred thirty-eight billion dollars going to defense, <laughs> I appreciate the work done by President Trump, Secretary Mnuchin, Leader McConnell, and Senator Shelby. Scott said, "These are complicated deals to negotiate." <laughs> like, very careful not to mention any Democrats. He's the most mm. like most bald-faced like part in in like the smallest, most useless ways. Rick Scott is the most partisan asshole that has that that is in congress like him we we have the worst we're the worst senators the 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 the, i mean just the absolute fucking worst senators in this state the the, like they're not even the fun cool type of republicans that like probably hunt people like they're just they're (laughs) they're just garbage like boring hacks they're like completely boring hacks not even really that fun to make fun of like they're not even like overtly racist they're not even like interesting like give me give me fucking i don't know man give me mitch mcconnell i'll take mitch mcconnell like he's sometimes i I wonder sometimes i wonder because at least mitch mcconnell's fucking good at it he's great at it (laughs) when you bring people like him up sometimes i do have to wonder does anybody else hear these people talking or is it just because you're there in florida like you know, is that well, why I'm here? Am am I hearing it because you're my friend and co-host that lives in Florida? Well, is Rick that Scott why? Is a particularly like villainous and notorious one because he was he has the distinction of being the largest Medicare fraudster in the history of the program. His mm-hmm. company that he ran uh, defrauded the government for millions and millions of dollars, um, and he was held responsible for it in like no real way he testified and took the took the fifth amendment like something like 35 times in a deposition and um he has been as a governor he was one of the most nakedly partisan most incompetent uh people to run the state but he is an incredible painter and what i mean by that is he like painted a facade of operational functional transparent government but the thing I always talk about when I talk about Rick Scott, like what he really is, is the way that him and his staff communicate, which Florida here 
in this state we we have one of the most powerful uh most um expansive i should say uh sunshine laws like transparency mm-hmm. everything in the government can be foia'd and found and that's great like it should be that way and anything that the government does any any interaction that the constituents or the taxpayers have with the government anything that is the inner workings and machinations of the government can all be found if you know what to ask ask for and what department to ask it from you can send mm. in a uh, you know a FOIA request and usually get it um Rick Scott maintained that transparency and did not like you would assume a Republican would want to do did not like clamp down on it and try to um stop it instead what Rick Scott did is create a and uh to the detriment of Florida journalists they did a dog shit job of trying to uncover this for a few years some people were working on it especially early in his administration as governor but mm. it was eventually abandoned Rick Scott began a sort of ad hoc like offline outside of the view of um of sunshine laws communication system with his uh with with his staff and his aides and stuff like that where who knows what the fuck was going on because again it was outside of the purview of the sunshine system so uh, of this of the of 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 government so the shit that like hillary clinton caught hell for was actually executed in a much more competent and um malicious manner by rick scott years and years before that uh, mm. so that when we talk about like what the danger of donald trump is is that somebody will eventually like the only redeeming quality of Trump is that he's so incompetent he doesn't actually get anything done and he's so like right, he can't right. pay attention for more than 2 seconds and his brain is mush but somebody who's smart and sharp and effective and um you know ruthlessly efficient will take his uh the the template that he's made and run with it and mm-hmm. do way better and like or when I think of Rick Scott, like I think of like that's the kind of person that will do that, like a, uh, a an effective administrator of horrible things, like somebody who will mm-hmm. who will take up the mantle of eventually one day of a Donald Trump and um, you know adopt all the right rhetoric and hit all the right notes to tickle all the right spots on all the brains of the pieces of shit who you know who <laughs> support him and 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 harness that same energy in an even more cynical way and sure you know yeah so i don't care about this fucking story i can't believe we ended up talking about it for 10 minutes i don't even know why i listed it as something for us to talk about Who gives a fuck what rick scott's gonna support i know i have listeners here in florida so i feel like you know we need yeah to talk about might as well mention it for a second if you want to talk about the debates for a second you know i i did uh I did not know that they were happening. That's how wrapped up I am in the trip I'm about to leave on tomorrow. Um, I didn't know that this week was the next debate. And I'm just wondering, since, you know, you seem to know these things, like what exactly is going to be different this time? Like, I feel like it's just going to be the exact same thing as last time. Well, they're going to mix up the groups. Um you know, I mean, but they're they're gonna they're gonna say the same shit at each other, aren't they? Like, I mean, yeah, has I anything mean, developed whatsoever? I mean, I think that you know, Trump has obviously ran. I think I think that Trump has done a big favor for all of the the Democrats because 
Um, he, he's done he's done no favors for the le- for the candidates that are sort of standing to the left because what what he's done is he's amped up the rhetoric on Twitter in the last like two weeks. Now he's got like <laughs> he's got like racist Sundays. Every Sunday he sits down and makes like crazy racist tweets about mm. shit. By the way, I don't want to get off topic here, but is it a thing now where if I want to be somebody who's opposed to Donald Trump that I have to pretend that Baltimore is not a shitty city. <laughs> like this whole like Baltimore strong thing. It's like, okay, I get it. But like, you know, even a broken clock, you know, like Baltimore <laughs> does have some pretty serious problems. And, but, and, mm-hmm. and, and like, okay, the person who I saw engaging with that the best is, you know who David Simon is? Yeah. Okay. David Simon created the wire, obviously, uh, you know, was a was a reporter for many years at the at the Baltimore Sun, and mm-hmm. um, he made some good points. He's sort of like a one of these like um, like neolib type guys on on Twitter now, but he made a good point as people were like calling, trying to call him out or trying to use the wire to reaffirm Trump's criticism of the city of Baltimore. He made a good point. Like my critique of him, my being him. My critique of Baltimore was like an institutional one. It was about the failure across the board of education, law enforcement, um, late organized labor, uh, of capitalism. Like it was, it was a big critique about mm. institutional failure and what it looks like when it is realized in, in a city. It wasn't just a petty shot at one black lawmaker who by the way is not part of the executive functions of the city of Baltimore Congress I know like I've realized that the people out there including Trump are about as smart as he is in terms of like how government works but your congressperson mm. is not in charge of fixing your city like sure. your your congressperson <laughs> represents you in Washington they don't do things in your city to fit like i mean maybe they do sometimes like there's a crossover of interests but that's not what their job is that's the mayor that's the governor that's the executive function of whatever Mm -hmm. municipality you live in it's not your congressperson your congressperson represents you in on a federal level and uh to hear people be like yeah under elijah cummings Baltimore has become a shithole. It's like Baltimore's not under Elijah Cummings. He's a congressperson that represents them. It's profoundly fucking stupid. Um, Even I know that. I mean, and, you're, and you're stupid as shit. I'm pretty fucking dumb. Uh, yeah, so. so, yeah. Um, anyway, back to the debate thing. The debate thing, I think it's just going to turn into more Trump bashing, which is like, fine. I mean, I guess if that, like, gets the... Um, if that gets the... Uh, the base out you know right i mean mm-hmm. if that's the thing that's going to get people out i might come around on that because uh, first of all the I, I think the Mueller stuff and the russiagate stuff that's going to be a topic that isn't really dealt with anymore i think that's been for the purposes of these debates that's been put to bed i don't mm, see that'll be that'll be interesting if they really do but i mean other than maybe know. like a like a like a cory booker i don't really see or an amy klobuchar i don't really see anybody kind of like attacking that point because it's just superfluous and unnecessary and and it's 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 dated at this point like everything with with that topic is done sure um i think it's interesting that one of the things that the sort of like the glenn greenwalds and the you probably don't know some of these guys but like aaron mate and um and um 
is another one. Michael fucking, I forget his name, is another writer. These sort of three guys who have been, since day one, skeptics of the veracity of Russiagate like, and, and collusion and all that. They've Their reporting has been uh, poking holes in the narrative by Democrats, but from the left. Like, what they're saying is that you know, Russia, like a, like a lot of progressives believe that Russia Gate and uh, and all of that stuff is is a um, you know convenient cover for Democrats in power who fucked up the easiest election in history. Right? It's like mm. it's like complaining to the refs after the after you lose the game. So, um, I don't agree with them in one of their specific criticisms where they were like, oh well, this is just a way for Democrats to not have to talk about issues. But that's bullshit, man. Democrats have been talking about issues a lot in the last two years. And uh, mostly thanks, again, to Bernie, they've pulled a lot of the conversations to the left. Now, you're an asshole if you're not for Medicare for all. Now, you're sure. you're, you're you're an asshole if you're not coming out with some kind of, um, you know, like we were just talking about, a tuition-free college or, or a, a student loan forgiveness program. Like, Everything's been pulled to the left, so I don't think that Russiagate really ended up detracting. Like, yeah, okay, we lost two years of Rachel Maddow because Rachel Maddow yeah. spent every <laughs> single night of her show talking about Russiagate instead of literally anything else, um, which, you know, primetime MSNBC, she very easily could have been. But whatever. I mean, if it, guess who else did like a bullshit-ass fucking investigation for years that turned up nothing? The Republicans against Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And how did that work out for them? Pretty fucking good. They won. Like, yeah, Benghazi, nothing came out of Benghazi, but guess what? It got enough Republicans angry at Hillary Clinton. Benghazi was a fucking trending hashtag for a solid, like, what, 24 months? And sure. everybody was, uh, like, they were frothing at the mouth about Benghazi, the, the right. So, whatever, man. If it gets the dumbest parts of the Democratic Party... Um, the Tom Clancy morons out there, if it gets them psyched up to go out and vote against Trump, then fuck it. Who cares? Well, let, let, let Rachel Maddow talk shit for an hour every night. Are you watching that show? I'm not watching that show. Who gives a fuck what she does? Of course not. <laughs> uh, I hopefully would like to see the... Um, so you're not even going to be able to see them because you're going to be out of town, right? No, yeah. See, what I'd like to see is a little bit better, um, you know, stage handling and technical proficiency because, <laughs> wow, did they fuck up the last one, man. There were like audio problems and um, mic issues and AV issues left and right. I mean, I'd like to see something resembling a professional uh, a, a professional fucking uh, performance by the uh, the production. That is, I know you're not going to be watching this because you're going to be in a fucking mountain somewhere, but uh, like sleeping in a cave. But is there anybody at this point, still, you know, 15 months away from election day, is there anybody that's up there who you're like interested in hearing more stuff from, and like why? No, not. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I you you know you know where I stand. I mean, I I mean, I think I'm more of a I'm more of a I will vote Democrat no matter what than you are. But I mean, I I don't really care to hear from any of them other than Bernie at this point. 
Like, is no. there anything that, like, Pete Buttigieg could say no. that would make you be like, There's oh, nothing wow. he could say that I'd be like, yeah, I can't wait to hear more from him. No, there's nothing. I, I just, I really can't imagine the single thing he would be able to say. I don't me neither. I mean, I don't know. No. These people all suck. I'm looking at these names. Some of them are like, I'll tell you who I would like to hear more from. Marianne Williamson. That's it. I love. I, yeah, <laughs> I feel like that. What her preferably on a TV show. Yeah, like, but on, that's on what we're gonna need in the the next four years of Trump is we're gonna need more like love, <laughs> like tolerance <laughs> and understanding and like uh, you know spirituality. That's the stuff that we're gonna need. We're gonna need a lot of that. And, oh yeah. Um. So you want to you want to do love? Hey, we haven't done that in a while. You have anything? I do. Okay. Yeah. You said you want to do love hate, and so I figured. Uh, let's let's, let's, let's do finish this hate. shit. Let's get let's get this over with. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll blaze through them, but I do think we should be doing this like from now on. We should do love hate every episode. There's no reason not to. Okay. For those who are more recent listeners and don't remember this, love hate is a segment that Dave and I did for a long time, and then sort of abandoned where we just like real quick hits some things that we love from the past week that we're like doing or watching or listening to or just that happened to us i don't know something from life sure uh, and then something that we hate um yep i'll start off if, you, if that's okay with you sure go for so it so i've been listening to a good podcast that's only unfortunately available on luminary which is a uh, paid podcast mm. app which um as somebody who runs a podcasting company I, I have a subscription to it but um the uh this podcast is called break stuff and it's about the 1999 Woodstock Festival, which completely underrated concert, in my opinion. Like, <laughs> I love hearing about this 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 concert. I remember it happening at the time. It was all about like new metal. It was a different vibe, a different feeling from. I mean, you remember how music was in 1991? Oh yeah, of course. It was dog shit, but somehow also really great. And right. like, it was just this weird thing. And maybe a part of it is like a nostalgia looking back at this disaster that this show was with like the, the riots and the fires and explosions and people dying. But by the way, same amount of people who died in the original Woodstock, 1969, yeah. two people died during that one too. And yeah. um, like just the revisiting of what the music, what was going on behind that music. I'm not trying to like exult the importance of Limp Biscuit or anything like that in, in the history of music or, or anything, but it was very much an interesting precursor, I think, to this age where we're in now. Like, I feel like new metal was a precursor to like SoundCloud rap now, where it's very sure. like in my feelings, it's very like um, atomized and lonely. It th th we're living in an age of loneliness right now. And, oh yeah, and people are sort of losing themselves in their music and stuff like that, finding their culture or their connections through dissatisfaction that's expressed through the the, the culture that they're that they're consuming, specifically in music. Um, mm. And I, I feel like that wasn't a thing that anger that aggression. It was different. It wasn't like 1969's Woodstock, and it wasn't like you know the early 90s era of like grunge or like alt rock or any of that um mm. i don't know what is your take on I, i'd be interested as a music person to hear as a person who's made of music um yeah i'd be interested to hear what your take on the 90 what your memories of the 99 woodstock was 
I mean, I, I would actually love to listen to this podcast. It sounds really interesting because, I mean, I... It wasn't the 99, I'm trying to remember, was that the, like the classic Nine Inch Nails all the new metals as well? Uh, yeah, all the new metal stuff. Uh, I, no, I think 94 was, I might be wrong. I think 94 was Nine Inch Nails. Um, that was, yeah, you're right. That, that was, was 94. That was the one with all the mud, where everybody was covered in mud. Yeah, with mud, the mud. And it was yeah. the 25th anniversary. But 99 was the Limp Biscuit and all that stuff. Corn, and I mean, um, yeah, it's it's such a, such a uh, it, I mean... That that's when we were. I mean, we were nineteen, twenty, twenty-one in in those years. Like yep. that is such a formative time. I mean, <laughs> it's like I w- I would love to listen to that. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, I'll share my luminary login with you. You can. Uh, you can yeah, I'll have to check it out. Would you love, Dave? All right, so so my love for the week, of course, has to do with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's new movie. No um, spoilers, but I'm not going to talk about please. the movie I still specifically. Yes, I, I will not. Uh, however, I am going to read you a tweet, which is one of many uh, on the subject. And I, I'm going to do this in a way uh, so as to, you know, protect no spoilers for you. Okay. Um, but of course, as you do know, you know, the trailer, you know, shows that this does have something to do uh, with that 1969 and the Sharon yeah. Tate murders and sure. with Manson. And uh, somebody tweeted, and this is, I, I know a lot of times these are like, we think that these are actually like bots and stuff set up to like get us all arguing and stuff like that. But this <laughs> is one of many real people I saw tweeting about this stuff. Um, I think a major problem is how little the film portrays much of anything about the Manson family at all. The storytelling assumes and requires that you know all of that. And then they, they go on. I don't want to say too much more, like, so it doesn't end up spoiling anything from their tweet. But they're they're basically saying that um, how dare he make a movie where he assumes that you have heard of Manson and his family, um, which I just think is so freaking hilarious. There's been just the reactions to this tweet and other tweets like it have just been so funny just uh following along on Twitter and I would suggest don't go looking for them until you've seen the movie so you don't spoil anything for yourself but um I it's incredible I I don't I don't understand how people could be so uninformed about some things that are such a major part of pop culture history that's a profoundly weird take I don't I haven't it's seen in, the movie it's yet but yeah. it's a weird way to come out that's really weird it's so strange it's it's really weird. I I actually I said like half jokingly earlier today on Twitter that um I, I think I knew more about Manson going into the movie than I did about old Hollywood. Like <laughs> you know, because like that's just so ingrained. I mean, those are all stories that we know growing up. It's just I guess there's a generation now that doesn't know about Manson. Okay, so my hate is a little thing admittedly but it's happened more and more often it's just like i saw this new york times tweet where it says it's from new york times business and it says safe it's just some article about about boeing 737 the 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 plane problems the crashes and everything and it says safety regulators didn't under didn't fully understood the deadly control system blah 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 it's a dumb typo but i mean like the New York Times, man. And like <laughs> everybody, it's a tweet and it's it was a social media post, but just the 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 quality of copy editing across the board, look of proofreading, of just looking back over the thing. You, I, I'm not asking for you to have line editors going through all of your mm-hmm. fucking tweets, but like 
Just take two seconds and look back over and reread your fucking tweets, man. Like, goddamn. You're the New York Times. It's ridiculous. And it's everybody's Washington Post, CNN. They all, like, just nobody. It, I'm not trying to sound like a fucking school marm, but it makes the internet fucking unreadable. Like, it becomes where you you have to read over things three or four times to understand what the fuck they're trying to, to understood <laughs> what the fuck they're trying to say. Yeah. It's annoying. Uh-huh. I hate it. Fucking learn to, you work at the New York Times. You're posting from the New York Times official accounts. What a what a what a mess things have gotten to become. It, <laughs> it's kind of sad, but it's over. That that's it. That's it. Well, uh, I, I'll just give my my hate very quickly here, um, and that is uh, something that it may seem very inconsequential, but. Um, Regal Cinemas uh, unveiled their unlimited plan, which is their movie pass competitor. Yeah, I saw and that. I texted that to you, I think. I think you had already seen it. Yes, though. you did. And now it's official and they've, they've unveiled like all the things about it. And, you know, AMC has theirs, which is $20 a month down the line. You could see absolutely anything you want. Plus, you get like all kinds of other stuff along with it uh, at any time you want, anything you want. They are advertising this as $18 a month, but then there's other plans. But what they don't tell you is that there are fees literally everywhere. It's like very difficult to use. It's like only at select theaters. Um, You have to pay between 50 cents and $3 a ticket, depending on where you're using it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, fuck you, Regal. Like, don't, don't do us that way. Uh, I, I would have signed up for it in a heartbeat because with the amount of movies I go to, I, I'm on AMCA list, but there are indies that play at Regal more often. And so I would have signed up for that too, but they're, uh, being greedy little shits. And so, um, I, that's my hate for the week. I guess the last thing I would leave people with is as I was, um, kind of mousing around during this episode, I saw that. Alan Dershowitz is trending, uh, disgraced professor of, uh, at Harvard Law School, um, uh-huh. who is the defender of the absolutely most repugnant people on the planet. Uh, but the reason he's trending is because they just came out with a, um, uh, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, so I don't know what is, I'm going to burn another one of my uh, free reads for the New Yorker on this article because it's a New Yorker piece that just came out alan dershowitz devil's advocate the noted lawyer's long controversial career and the accusations against him by connie brooke connie brooke clearly a very um brave person because alan dershowitz has a long history of suing anybody who dares to write about him in anything other mm-hmm. than a flattering light or to say things public utter public uh, utter things publicly uh negative about him um I don't want to get into this article. It looks really long, and it's I'm probably going to read it. And uh, if it's worthwhile, we'll talk about it. I don't know, some other time. But um, sounds good. But I do <laughs> want to say his response. <laughs> I guess at some point he wrote an op-ed about. I'm sorry, but you're never gonna you're you're never gonna get people with the like, hey let's have a conversation about age of consent. I'm sorry. You're wrong from this. But doubling down on this op-ed that he wrote, he's replying to a critic uh, on, on Twitter. He sent this tweet just now um, about like two hours ago from Alan Dershowitz. 
And I'm just quoting you, Alan. Don't fucking take me to court. All I'm doing is quoting you. I'm not telling mm. people to Google what happened to Alan Dershowitz's first wife. Don't go Googling that. Don't Google <laughs> that phrase and click on any of the links that pop up when you Google what happened to Alan Dershowitz's first wife. Nobody do that, please. Um, all I'm going to do is recite the tweet that he sent. Uh, okay. I stand by the constitutional, not moral, argument I offered in my controversial op-ed. If a 16-year-old has the constitutional right to have an abortion without state or parental in interference, how could she not have the constitutional right to engage in consensual sex? One slash, which lets you know, like... <laughs> Dude, nothing good is gonna happen. In, oh boy! In, like, <laughs> like just, if that's just your first of a thread. I don't even want to see where you're going. And honestly, I'd rather just end this podcast and explore where he took this thread uh, after that. Because oh boy! Um, <laughs> <laughs>